Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It helps if I actually turn on the camera for everybody. Hey, welcome in. What's up? Welcome into the program. We got a heck of a show lined up today, ready for you. It is a midweek celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. We're just going to carpe diem all over this place, baby. That's what we do. Welcome into it. This is the Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. What's up? Welcome in. Thanks for hanging out, your Millennial General, reporting for duty like we do every single day. Uh, I know that there's a stigma of going over to Ireland, and there's always that joke and that stigma of having a few too many Guinness, maybe having a few too many adult beverages with their whiskey or with their beer or whatever. I know there's a stigma there, and I know that that's not considered cultural appropriation because with the paler skin, you're allowed to make any kind of derogatory comment you want to. Uh, without being affected on the cultural appropriation or condescending remarks or racism in any way, shape, or form. I understand that there's a double standard here. If you say anything, which I don't know why you would want to in the first place, because I hate racism. As you know, I hate identity politics. But uh, I know that if you make a derogatory comment against anybody of a different skin color, then you are obviously the biggest racist on the face of the earth. However, if you make the comment against a paler-skinned individual, totally fine. Or a group of people. Totally fine. Joe Biden's over in Ireland right now, and which I made the joke yesterday that he was probably having one too many Guinness with Ireland, uh, with the Irish leaders in Northern Ireland, especially. Which, if you know the dialects of Ireland, that's where the really intense, thick accent is, where you can't really understand a lot of what they say. And the northern portion of Ireland, especially in the Belfast area where he's at. But according to the Washington Examiner, he's probably had just a few too many of those Guinness in Northern Ireland as we talk about data breaches, we talk about leaked documents, they apparently have found some of the operational order top secret uh, documents from the police service of Northern Ireland regarding Joe Biden's trip laying in the streets of Belfast, just laying randomly on the corner in the gutter, just the documents laying there on the operational orders of law enforcement in the community. Now, I, <laughs> now, hold on here. Hold on here. I know. I know. Again, I know that we have the, obviously, the document leaks and the raid on Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump and the FBI that we now know that Joe Biden knew about and actually helped to orchestrate this entire thing for the PR campaign against Donald Trump and the investigation on how he's taken all these things and not keeping them secure. Uh, regardless of Joe Biden having documents in, you know, university lockers or his office or his basement or his garage next to his Corvette and these random boxes, whatever else he may be doing, this takes the cake, man. 
and the operational order of law enforcement in regards to the security of the President of the United States laying randomly in the streets of Ireland, proof in case, my friends, that when you have a few too many Guinness in Ireland, then you end up making some really bad decisions and you can't control anything. And I know exactly what Joe Biden's doing over there now. So rest assured, he has yet to go to East Palestine, Ohio. He has to go to the southern border to talk about the fentanyl crisis or human trafficking. But what he can do is get drunk over in Ireland. Man, how crazy. What a world we live in today, right? I know it. I know it. All right, is, is it okay? Can I keep making fun of you, Joe Biden? Stop it. Stop it now. <laughs> All right. Welcome into the show. Got a lot to talk about. Ian Pryor, he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Parents of the World Unite is his latest book as we talk about parents versus the radical left socialist agenda for our children, both in the education system and just in general, on how we have to shelter and protect our children from the radical nuts that are living in the world today, which I really want to kick off today is our topical story of the day. Really? I mean, that's where we're at. What's trending today? So I want to play a little game with you, as the game's an important one, because the game is really something that we shouldn't have to play, but we're going to play it anyways, of how well do you know your elected officials? And as the left-wing Democrats, the progressives, the socialists, the nuts, the elites, whatever you want to call them, the deep state, however you want to call them, as they are running rampant in Washington, D.C. right now. The bigger question is, how well do we know the elected officials and what do they actually stand for? Obviously, Joe Biden doesn't stand for a whole lot. In fact, he trips his way upstairs and drops documents on the middle of the street in Ireland. (laughs) Well done, Joe Biden. We now know where you stand or don't stand on many of the issues. But I want to ask you a major question, and as we get into setting up the topic for our guests at the bottom of the hour... How well do we know some of these elected officials? I want to throw a name out there, and I want to see if you can remember it. It's a very difficult one because it is the new leader, essentially, potentially, the future of the Democrat Party. And as you know, the Democrats have had a very, very challenging time trying to find leadership in the Democrats. They've had the old guard running things for too long, and they haven't opened up the doors for the new age, younger individuals, the younger generation to come in, step up, prove themselves, and be the leaders of the Democrat Party. AOC tried, and she got kind of shunned. And she's still trying because she makes a fool of herself. And I'm, for the first time, I'm not talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I am told this is a garbage disposal. I, I We're not talking about her this time. As entertaining as she is and the low-hanging fruit that she is. All right. Are you ready for the name? Are you ready for this one? Hakeem Jeffries. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Let you think about that for a second. Let that mole head over for just a moment. Hakeem Jeffries on do you know your elected officials in Washington, D.C.? If that name does ring a bell, it's probably because it was in the news just a few months ago when he was running against Kevin McCarthy for the Speaker of the House as all the Democrats united unanimously against Hakeem Jeffries. But he's back in the news. And by the way, he is the minority leader for the House of Representatives as well. As the young individual, the young individual, quote-unquote, of color, since that's apparently an important thing to mention nowadays in today's identity politics realm, he is the younger individual, quote-unquote, of color that is running the Democrat Party that was going to take the mantle from Nancy Pelosi and run with it to represent a new age of Democrats in this nation. But the question is, how well do you actually know Hakeem Jeffries, who almost made it to the Speaker of the House, who almost became the third most powerful individual in the country, and who is now the front runner 
in many realms for the Democrats to hold up as the new visual icon of showing that they're of color and that they're for minorities and they're for a new vision for this nation. But how well do you actually know Hakeem Jeffries? Interestingly enough, CNN itself, not Fox News, not Breitbart, not uh, uh, One American News Network, not Breitbart, not anybody else. CNN reported a news story on Hakeem Jeffries. And I'm going somewhere with this for a second, so bear with me because this is scarily eerie if this is all true. Hakeem Jeffries has been for years getting into the political realm, distancing himself from the reputation of his father and other political leaders that had been running as a lineage through his family for a very long time, including his uncle, a black studies professor, Leonard Jeffries, who lost his job, according to CNN, over incendiary comments regarding Jewish individuals. Hakeem Jeffries' father and uncle have both praised um, the radical black rights advocate, Louis Farrakhan, who has been uh, one who gave himself over to Islam, which is fine, don't really care about your religious beliefs, but has been one on a radical pro-black movement, almost like Black Panther-style movement, for years hating on white individuals. Now, Hakeem Jeffries, during his entire political career, stepped away from those and said that he distanced himself, that he did not have the same political views as his father and as his uncle and as the family icons like Louis Farrakhan. And for those that don't know him, you can look him up, but he's got a very radical agenda for very many years as he's been hating on anybody that has a different skin color than himself. But Hakeem Jeffries, while he ran, has distanced himself saying that he's had a different view of the world. However, according to CNN, which is, again, the surprise for me on this one, it, there's been some released documents on, on writings that he's made throughout the years that fall directly in line with some of these messages. Now, why is this important right now? It's important right now as we look at some of the latest current events with the lack of securing our border, with a fentanyl crisis, with a human trafficking issue, with gun crimes running rampant across the nation. I'm sorry, crime running rampant across the nation that some you like to use firearms for. Uh, whether it's the ongoing issue in Ukraine, the corruption with China, whether it's our debt ceiling, whether it's the socialist programs, whether it's the expansion of the centralized government powers, whether it's the federal budget, whatever issue that we have right now, we need to understand the other side to understand exactly where they're coming from and what their ultimate agenda is. And I want to read you a part of what he's written in these uh, writings, if I can, if my website actually wants to work here. Again, here we go. According to CNN.com, in his writings, do you think that a ruling elite would promote individuals who would seek to dismantle their vice-like grip on power? where he goes after unfairly, quote-unquote, targeted by white media, meaning that he's trying to defend Louis Farrakhan, the uh, leader of the Nation of Islam and the radical pro-black anti-white individual who's attacked Jewish individuals for years on end, where he said that he was unfairly attacked by, quote-unquote, white media and said that he's challenging the long-standing distortion of history because we don't really truly understand what's really going on. He goes on to say that any person of quote-unquote color, of a black individual, that's a Republican or conservative in our own government, is a sellout and an opportunist and calls them a House Negro. This is his words, not mine. 
The editorial was critical of black conservatives contained in inflammatory remarks for the future congressman. Quote, the House Negro of the slavery era and the black conservative of today are both opportunists interested in securing some measure of happiness for themselves with the existing social order. In both cases, meaning the House Negro of slavery area and the black conservative of today, in both cases, the social order has blacks occupying the lowest societal echelon. Whoa. So the fact that we ended slavery in a slavery era and individuals of color were able to become elected officials across the nation, that should be a sign of progress, should be a sign of an end of racism, an end of segregation, the opportunity for all, the American dream being fulfilled for everybody. The fact that that happened and now conservative blacks that think differently than being put in the certain box that Democrats want them to be in, the fact that they think differently means that they're one and the same of being opportunists to utilize the system of today for their own personal benefit. Because apparently, we're not supposed to have individual interests in a system of a free market, laissez-faire capitalist society for us to find our interests and benefit from it the best we can in a very legal manner and live the American dream and find the opportunity that is there for everyone. Because if you go down that road, then you're a sellout and you're an opportunist And you're no better than the blacks that walk off the plantation and choose to live their own life because you're supposed to stay within those realms that the Democrats, the socialists, the plantation owners, and the elites in our Washington government want you to stay in. This is the House Minority Leader right now. This is, but almost would have been, if Kevin McCarthy didn't get that Speaker of the House ship, the Speaker of the House, the third most powerful person in our government. This is the young future of the Democrat Party as the old guard begins to step away. This is the face of the Democrat Party in the United States right now. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Are you scared yet? A little concerned? Maybe a little concerned to some of the elected officials. Again, this is the game of do you really know your elected officials here on the Voice of Reason? Welcome in 24 minutes past the hour. Hakeem Jeffries, I don't know why it's such a big surprise when we have like Ilhan Omar, who obviously has made ridiculous, absurd comments about the Jewish communities. This individual is making comments not only about them, but then about Anybody else or any other individual of color, minority, descent, whatever you want to call it in today's times, that's politically correct, uh, that thinks in a different way in some way, shape, or form. He's, uh, by the way, this is, and the biggest surprise to me is the fact that this was written and reported on by CNN. If this was by Newsmax, if this was by Breitbart, if this was by even Fox News, uh, you know, I would get it. And then the other side would be like, oh, and that's not true. It's not really real. Don't worry about it. But this is reported by CNN in a, quote, previously unreported college editorial that was written by Hakeem Jeffries in 1992, February of 1992, defending his uncle and father, defending the Mr. Farrakhan, and then making these 
absurd, ridiculous comments. When at the same time, during an interview that he made with the Wall Street Journal back in 20, uh, 2013, when asked about the radicalness that went through his family, said he only had a, quote, vague recollection of the controversies of his uncle and remembered it only as a tough time for his father and claimed his mother shielded him and his brother from the controversies because he was off at college. But yet, in 1992, while in college, writing to defend them and continue on that legacy, I this is my plea to the Democrat Party right now. While I get that we have a new generation with a new face coming up, is this really the direction you want your Democrat Party to be? While we may have differences on uh, uh, policy as Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, whatever, is this really the direction that you want it to be? While they talk about unifying, it's unifying under the false flag of unity, the false flag of getting along because it's really get in line or we will smite you and we will wipe you off the face of the earth when you have radical hate mongers that are running this. And Hakeem Jeffries, I mean, you know what? I'm sure the vast majority of individuals didn't even know who Hakeem Jeffries was until his name popped up as the potential Democrat alternative to the Speaker of the House vote that happened just a few months ago against Kevin McCarthy. Like, who is this guy? Kind of like the name Barack Obama. We had no clue. He was a state senator for two years, already on the campaign trail run for U.S. Senate, and was in the U.S. Senate for, what, 190 days before he started his campaign for president of the United States. He was not in the Senate for very long. That's kind of like this guy. Where are these guys coming from? And what do they stand for? Let's slow down a little bit. Let's do some investigative research here. Let's figure out exactly who's running these parties. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the mainstream media is starting to realize, hey, this could be some bad publicity. We need to get out in front of this before the other side comes out with it because it could look really, really bad on us. They still promote it. They still like him. They still want him. They just have to get out in front of it. You know, release it as an editorial piece. Release it as a side note. It's not going to hit the news on TV. It's just going to hit their website. So that way, when it does come up, you're like, oh, yeah, we already knew these things. It's fine. We cleared the air. We got rid of the controversy. We let you know straight and forward exactly what he stands for. But the radical is the new face between Hakeem Jeffries, yes, even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, while the DNC cannot contain her, she's kind of running her own sub-pack to the Democrat Party known as the Radical Stupid We have Ilhan Omar that's part of that group and also part of this group as well. This new blood of the Democrat Party has gone so radical that the Democrat Party and you as the voters of Democrats, because I know I get some of you listening to the program, because I get your hate mail and emails all the time, so it's quite okay. I'm pleading with you if you want your party to survive and if you want the nation to have a rational mind in any way, shape, or form, you need to start cleaning out your party with a fine-tooth comb, and you need to start with AOC, and you need to start with Ilhan Omar, and you need to start with Hakeem Jeffries, because this is dangerous, man. This is crazy. But it's your party. Let it self-destruct if you want. I'm just trying to give you some tips, man. When we come back, Ian Pryor will talk about parents against this left-wing radical agenda because these new leaders are the ones that are corrupting our young kids. How do we stop that from happening? That and more coming here on The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. What's up? Thanks for hanging out today for the midweek celebration. 
to what we do every day, trying to bring common sense, reason, rationale to the program. You know, just a normal thing here on this show. It's not normal in the real world, but this isn't the real world. This is your safe space for common sense talk. Ooh. That's what we're, <laughs> that's what we're Welcome back in to it. Radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting all over the place. We love you to death and appreciate you very, very much as we kind of finish up this conversation. Hakeem Jeffries, definitely a detriment to society. and We need to be aware. Again, let's play the little game of let's get to know our elected officials, which, by the way, with the comments that he made about any, really anybody that's of a different minority skin color that is not on the Democrat Party or is running as a conservative, uh, just being an opportunist. There is some news that broke earlier today. And the conservative, apparently evil conservative opportunist, uh, Tim Scott from South Carolina, has announced on Fox and Friends earlier this morning that he's announcing a potential presidential exploratory committee, so he may be running here soon. That opportunist evil jerk not getting in line with the Democrat Party, man. (laughs) Ah, that's the world we live in. Welcome back into it. Excited to get to our guests, so let's jump right in here. What's trending today? As we talk about the radical left-wing agenda, we've talked about Hakeem Jeffries. We've talked about our favorite individual, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I am told this is a garbage disposal. Still my favorite clip. I really don't care. Still my favorite clip out of all time. Uh, That is the level of IQ that we have on the Democrat side. And unfortunately, they're finding ways to infiltrate and brainwash our children, whether it's in public schools or whether it's just in general on living and feeling and saying the same garbage that they are as well. How do we battle that? That's the topic for our next guest is he's the author of the new book, Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our uh, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda, excited to have on the program here, Mr. Ian Pryor. Ian, how are you, my friend? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on the show very much. This is uh, obviously the focal point, and I think more parents across the nation are starting to focus on this, and I think it really happened after... A couple elections ago when we were told that, you know, we shouldn't have any say in our public education, that we're essentially domestic terrorists if we try to actually get involved in our school boards at a local level. Uh, I don't think parents took too lightly to those comments, did they? No, no, they didn't. And you're referring, obviously, to the the Virginia election in 2021 where Terry McAuliffe said that. And, you know, people call it a gaffe, but it's not a gaffe. That's pretty much what the left thinks. Uh, They don't want parents involved in schools. In fact, there was a an article, I, I can't remember if it was the Atlantic or the Intelligencer, where, where uh, the author was saying that parent, the parental movement is, is dangerous for children. I mean, I, he's serious, right? So, so parents want to have a say in what's going on in their schools, which, you know, they pay for uh, and they send their children to. That's, that's dangerous to their own children. I mean, it's just absurd. Um, but you're seeing the left continue to, to double down, you know, all over the country, really. And we, we really started you know, bringing attention to our school system out in Loudoun County, Virginia, which, you know, I think mobilized certainly a lot of parents in, in Virginia, which ultimately I think helped get Glenn Youngkin elected, helped get Jason Miaras elected. But, you know, more than that, I think we were, you know, because we had that election and because everybody was so focused on Virginia and, you know, naturally what we were doing as well, it really inspired parents all over the country to start digging into what's happening in their schools. And I mean, you can't go on social media or turn on the television without finding new, just, you know, uh, completely offensive things going on in our public schools. So, you know, I wrote this book to really chronicle what what we did in Loudoun County, Virginia in 2021 and in 2022 even um, as a bit of a guide for for how parents can can operate against their own school systems. 
That's amazing. The question is, how did we get to this point? I mean, just 50, 60 years. I mean, I wasn't there. I'm 34 years old. So, you know, we're part of the millennials that are just trying to watch the world burn around us here. But uh, when did we get to this point where it was acceptable to not only not be involved in your kid's education, but then be criticized if you try to be involved in your kid's education? I mean, I remember the stories of the 50s, 60s and 70s to where, you know, you did your homework, but then you came home and you did your homework with your parents. They sat there and helped you with it. They worked with you on it. And it was kind of a constant ongoing education between what you learned at school and what you learned at home. Where did the where did this all end up changing and going south? Well, I, I think you can look at, at two things, really, from decades ago. I mean, first, you, you have the Depart- Federal Department of Education in, in the late 70s, which really centralizes power um, in Washington. And when you have centralized power, that's where all the special interests and the teachers unions are going to go to to influence policy. And then when you're holding a bunch of money for these local school systems, you know, they're going to implement those policies because they want that money. Um, so once you once you start centralizing that power, you decrease local power and local power are the constituents, which are parents. And then secondarily, I think, you know, the explosion of, of really the student loan industry, um, where colleges get more expensive, everybody's now going to college, they're offering some of the most ridiculous courses and majors um, out there, you know, gender studies and, and whatnot. And so you get these these people going through higher education, coming out completely woke, and they end up as, you know, school administrators or, or teachers or whatnot. So the, the combination of those those two factors, I think, has seen a, a long slide to, to where we are today. Come on, Ian. I need to major in my uh, history of transitioning genders with a minor in underwater basket weaving, and I wonder why I can't walk out of college and get a $100,000 career, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, now I think you're going to get um, – you're going to get specialties in, in bathroom architecture. Uh, we, we just we just learned out here that they're going to um, they're going to have they're going to get rid of sex segregated bathrooms. So they're considering getting rid of sex segregated bathrooms. Okay, I don't know if you've ever been in a unisex bathroom. I, I was in one, unfortunately, the first time a couple of weeks ago. And you go in, and it's it's men and women, and you know people in their 30s and 40s, and you've got stalls and you've got this communal sink. And, I mean, it's just uncomfortable. Right. Wow. It, it's just it's just crazy. You're like, why, why, why can we just have a men's room and a, and a women's room? Well, they want to put that in elementary schools. And, and you know, that's what's happening here. You know, parents don't want that. Um, and nobody's you know, nobody's saying that you, you shouldn't be compassionate to, to kids that, you know, may have have some issues and, and may have some confusion. But to, to implement these policies into government schools and demand allegiance to a specific point of view and opinion that's held by, you know, the, the left in government. I mean, it's, it's anti-American, it's anti-constitutional, but unfortunately it's a disease that is, that is spread right under our very noses. Yeah, amen to that. After the comments that was made in Virginia with that election and with the more awareness, I think maybe parents staying at home during the COVID-19 pandemic, trying to actually realize what really is going on in their home, under their nose, with their children, uh, we saw a lot of parents nationwide start running for local school boards and winning. Here in the Wichita area, where I'm based out of with our flagship, we had now 50% of conservatives actually get on to the Wichita school board which was huge because we haven't seen that in a very long time. And I know the same thing's happening in different places across the nation as well. Is that going to help change this issue and start changing the dialogue within our public schools? Or is that just a piece of the puzzle here? You know, I think it's a piece of the puzzle. I think there's, there's a lot of things that, that really have to happen. I mean, one, you could have a great school board, um, but a lot of the problems come from the administration. And, uh, you know, these administrations are, have massive budgets. They have massive staff. 
And, you know, school boards, even even the best ones, are overwhelmed. And, you know, the best they can do is really be a roadblock for the administration. Now, if you get a bad school board, they're just going to rubber stamp everything that comes out of the administration. So I think what, what really needs to happen is that at the public school level, you have to have good school board members that are going to hold these administrations accountable, you know, cut the fat in the, in the admin buildings. Um, and get rid of these these insane policies. Now hold on, there, Ian. Hold, hold on there. According to school budgets, they're ske- they're on skeleton crews. They don't have enough money to put the resources in the classroom or to give pay raises to teachers. They don't have enough money. We need more tax money to raise taxes to pay for a public education, right? Well, yeah. They, I mean, they don't have <laughs> enough money to pay the teachers because they have like a full office of of equity people, right? They get your equity director, you get your equity coordinator, you get your equity assistant, you get your equity assistant, the regional manager. I mean, they spend all this money on uh, just wasteful administrative positions. Um, and then when then they come and say, well, well you don't want to pay teachers. Like, how about you cut some of those positions? Then you might be able to pay some teachers, right? How about you not spend so much time, you know, buying these books that you know, only these, these, you know, wealthy, white, woke women seem to want to uh, read to their kids. You know, millions of dollars putting those into classroom libraries instead of, you know, actual text that, um, you know, may provide an education that's useful for kids. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I also think, look, you got to get, you have to have competition. You have to have competition in the marketplace. Uh, public schools, government schools have, have become a monopoly. And what you have is parents that are trapped, right? They may not have the ability to homeschool their children. They may not have the money to, to send their children to private school while also paying taxes for, for public school. So, you know, when you implement universal school choice, as a lot of states are doing, you're going to create competition, and that's going to force public schools to really rethink some of what they're doing. And it's going to force states that don't have school choice to rethink that because you're going to get a lot of parents saying, well, you know, maybe I'll move to a state that, that does have school choice. Amen to that. I'm glad you went there because that's the next question I had was the school choice, the school voucher program. Kansas, we tried a bill. This is the second or third year we've tried it. We failed miserably on it. Oklahoma's working on it. Nebraska's been working on bills like this. Uh, creating that competition, even if they don't take their kids to a private school, that's going to at least create the competition even among public schools, isn't it? If uh, there's multiple schools in a certain city or a certain town, if you go to one because they have a better graduation rate or testing scores, you'd want to take your kid there. That's going to make them raise the bar a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, you, you hear a lot from the equity commissars about, oh, well, you know, students should be, shouldn't be limited to their zip codes. Well, yeah, no kidding. But then why aren't you for school choice? I mean, if you don't want to limit your, you know, students and children to the schools in the place where they live, then there should be choice. There should be competition, whether it's within the public school system itself or whether it's in you know, the greater education system with the homeschool, um, private school, school choice, et cetera. So, you know, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But it, the left has been at this in education to, to sort of build leftist voters for you know, future generations for, for decades. And, yeah. you know, we've been at this really for three years since COVID, I think, is, is what you've seen from the parental rights movement. That's it's true. It's going to take a lot more time for us to catch up. Yeah, we're going to take a hard break. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Sure. Fantastic. I got a lot more I want to talk to you about here. How to get our kids back on track. What can we do about this and fight against the public schools? Lots more coming up here this for The Voice of Reason. Stay the here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Hey, John Wright, we are. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. Last few minutes of the show for a midweek celebration. The greatest day of the entire week. I don't care what anyone says. Carpe diemisms all over the place. That's what we do here on the show. Welcome back into it. We're hanging out with Ian Pryor, author of the book Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. You can also find them, follow them on their website, fightforschools.com, their Facebook page at facebook.com slash fightforschools as well. See ways that you can help battle the, and again, this is not an attack on the teachers of the public education system, maybe the radical woke ones that are trying to brainwash and, you know, the ones down in Florida that are like, of course I'm going to talk about my sexual experiences with my three-year-old kindergarten class. Why the hell not? Uh, but we're not talking about those. We're talking about the rational-minded teachers just trying to survive and teach the youth of America uh, that are getting their hands tied behind their back through the administration, through the school district as a whole, and through the Department of Education. How do we battle this garbage? How do we battle the minds for the youth of America against the radical left-wing agenda. And you can check it out with Parents of the World Unite, how to save our schools from the left's radical agenda. Ian, is there an increase, do you think, on... I know we're seeing it with higher education, with colleges going to maybe trade schools, not even going to college at all, just going right into the workforce. But K-12, through are we seeing an increase of maybe homeschooling or going to charter schools, going to private schools, or even I love the concept uh, concept as well of the micro-schooling of just kind of the community parents kind of bouncing around and teaching the kids life skills. Yeah, I, I think we are seeing an, an increase in, in alternative schooling. And the reason why you know that is you look at some of the enrollment numbers uh, at these school systems, and they're just going down. Um, unfortunately, some of them aren't going down because kids are going to, you know, alternative schools. But, you know, in Baltimore, for example, they're just losing numbers and kids aren't going to school um, because the schools are so poorly performing and, and they're not doing the job to, to ensure that, you know, kids are getting education. They're working with parents they're keeping kids in school. I mean, there's a whole host of problems. But I do think that you are starting to see homeschooling is becoming, you know, it's becoming something that is that is more prevalent than it was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. And largely because I think during COVID, a lot of parents realized that, you know, there are resources available. This is not, you know, something where you have to design your own program and, and figure things out on your own. There's there's lots of resources um, out there. And, and as you said, charter schools, micro schools. Um, but there needs to be support for that, right? There needs to be support policy-wise. You need to have state governments that are willing to back that and aren't, aren't going to just sit there and say, well, you know, if it's, if it's um, uh, an alternative or if it's competition, then you're anti-public schools. You're, you're trying to defund public schools. That's, that's their talking point. Yeah. You know, God forbid you have, have an issue with, with something that's being taught or the way a school is being run, then, then you become anti-public schools. I mean, and that's part of the problem is, is these, these local far-left activists that, you know, just really don't understand how to argue, how to argue substance and um, – you know, they're embarrassing, to be honest with you. Well, they don't know how to argue because, again, they probably didn't have the best education to learn about proper debating skills and how to actually think through a thought process. So there is that. Uh, it reminds me of the Chicago school district where we just saw the headlines a couple of weeks ago about, what, 50, 55 schools within Chicago alone had a 0% efficiency rate in graduation rates to be able to go on to higher education. Zero. And that's where all the money goes. In fact, Illinois is bankrupt because of how much money they spend on public education with 90, 95% of that going to the Chicago area where they have zero efficiencies coming out of high school. And that's a telltale sign of a failed system. Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of that comes down to school discipline. Um, the discipline rates in schools have, have 
really drastically decreased because teachers are, are hamstrung, right? What they want to do is say, well, we need to, we need to get rid of certain offenses um, for suspensions because of, you know, a racial disparity across a, a giant county or a giant city, not, you know, individual school to school, but just look at the top line numbers and let's, let's not discipline kids for disorderly conduct. Let's not discipline kids for disruptive behavior. And when you lose that discipline, you create real problems in schools and academics suffer. You know, uh, going back to the, the books for a second, you know, and I think you were talking about Hakeem Jeffries earlier. I, uh, I, I heard him, you know, it was last month he was talking about how, how parents don't want their kids to learn about the Holocaust, right? <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. Let me just take a quick look at, at Loudoun County Public Schools Library Catalog. So I found um, it was one transgender book. There was like 17 copies. There was another one, uh, transgender kid, 31 copies. And there's one with like 39 copies. So I'm like, all right, let's see how many copies they have of Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, right? Yeah, I mean, 20 you seconds, learn about brother. the Holocaust. That's, yeah. yeah. Zero copies of that. Zero. Zero copies. Good golly. So they're yeah. talking out of both sides of their mouth. Yeah. yeah so, well, they want to remove it and then just be like, well, look, you know, we don't have it here because people don't want it here. And that's their right. tactic that they play on a lot of issues. It is Parents of the World Unite. Check out the book. Check out the fightforschools.com as well. Ian Pryor. Ian, appreciate all the time, my friend. we got to get you back on and do this again soon. Thanks a lot. Hey, always a pleasure. All right, that does it for today. Podcast up in a little bit. We're back at it again tomorrow. Until then, make sure to be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.